Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host, and happy Monday to you and yours. Today is a Motivation Monday, and we have Jesse Goldstein going to be our guest on the show today. He is the owner of Fresh Branding, as well as the Food Sheriff Department. So he is going to come on and tell us lots of really cool stories about time working on movie sets with Tomcats, uh, redoing the Loveless Cafe, and then some really great ideas and just kind of food for thought as to exactly what you can be doing for marketing and branding of your business. Uh, so that's going to be a really exciting interview. It is available right now live on YouTube if you'd like to watch the video. Lots of uh, hand gestures and fun things going on on the video, so please feel free to go check it out. Click that subscribe button when you hit to YouTube so you can see all these videos when they come out. First, real quick, we're going to talk about Springer Mountain Farms. And you know, putting healthy food into your body is nothing new, and putting healthy food into the food you're eating is also something that is relatively new. So not only the chicken you're eating was raised here, but their food is too. 100% of the corn and soybeans used to make uh, the chicken feed is grown in the USA. Their feed is formulated by staff veterinarians and nutritionists for optimum health and well-being of their chickens. And made in their on-site feed mill, the first feed mill in the world, in the world, to earn the Safe Feed Safe Food Certification from the American Feed Industry Association to further ensure the quality of their feed, each load of feed ingredient, as well as each load of finished seed, is tested in our on-site USDA-certified lab. Now, that is going above and beyond. So when you hear people say Spring Mountain Farms chicken, you know, what makes the chicken so great? It's all of these things. They feed their chickens the best ingredients and you know how you feel when you eat the best ingredients you eat great food you feel great so these are chickens you want to be eating we've also have a new sponsor today they are called trust 20 and trust 20 is a new program so all these restaurants are reopening right now and we're wondering are we doing everything we possibly can to ensure the guests of the the safety of our guests as well as our staff well i don't know the answer to that but trust 20 is a certification program that will come in and do it. They're an independent auditor. They will come in and make sure they've identified 20 different areas in which you can, 20 different things you need to be doing right now to proactively take care of your guests as well as your staff. So there's going to be an ad in the middle of this episode that I'd love for you to hear. Go visit them at trust20.co. That's T-R-U-S-T, the number 20, dot C-O. And you can check out exactly what they're doing. So, I mean, if you think you're doing a good job, awesome. We want you to be doing the best job. But if you want to know you're doing the best job and you're going above and beyond, uh, hit up Trust 20 because they are going to ensure that you do just that. So let's get on with the show today. We are going to be talking again with Jesse Goldstein. And uh, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I do. If you do, let me know about it. Head over to our Facebook page or our Instagram page and give us a like. Let us give a comment, whatever you can. Uh, follow us on Instagram, Nashville Restaurant Radio. And um, we thank you for all that you do and uh, all of your support. 
So let's jump right in now with Jesse Goldstein. With much excitement, I want to bring in Jesse Goldstein, who is the owner of the Food Sheriff Department, as well as Fresh Branding. Jesse, welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. Thank you so much. So one of the qu- happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. One of the questions I'm asking people when they come on the show in a non-greeting kind of a way, we're in the middle of a surging pandemic, a civil rights movement, restaurants are closing, bars are closing, lots of insanity is happening. There's a lot of trauma out there. How are you doing? Like, in a real question, like, how are you doing, man? Yeah. Full disclosure, I'm, I'm hanging on. Um, you know, it's been a uh, hell of a few months watching so many people that we've worked with, that I've worked with for so many years, watch them pour their heart and souls into their business. And the fright that it might all have been for naught uh, is, is really pretty heartbreaking. Um, but uh, I see some glimmers here and there and try to cling on to those. I think that's what you can do. I mean, I think you got yep. in the positive stuff and um, try and look at the glasses half full. But I also don't want to, you know, I'm not shying away from the fact that there's a lot of things that are messed up out there right now. And there's a lot of people that are working really hard to um, to make it, like just hanging on by a thread. So I like to ask that question. Is it, is it like, a, how are you doing today? Yeah. Thanks yeah. for the answer. So I wanted to have you on the show today because being the owner of Fresh Branding, and the food sheriff department you do a lot of really cool stuff and i wanted to bring you on because i think there's a lot of ways you can help restaurants today with just kind of some advice about what you do and let people know that you exist if there are restaurants out there that didn't know that you exist because you're one of those can you you facilitate a lot of creation in this city and i love it Man, it's been the biggest joy of my life getting to see all of these projects and work with so many incredible people. And uh, But one of the things I always like to say is that uh, I like to be invisible. You know, I don't I don't want everyone to know that I did any of the work. <laughs> so so that's because of that. I'm often behind the scenes a bit. But that's that's the way I like it, which is precisely the reason why I wanted you on this show, today, mm-hmm. because I'm aware of you. And I think people in the industry are aware of you, but if you weren't aware of him, I wanted to kind of, I don't know, let people yeah. know that you do a lot of cool stuff. So let's get, let's, let's jump right into some of your history and what makes you, you. Tell me about, you have, you have a brother and then you have uh, your parents. Tell me about growing up. When did you first get yeah. into cooking? You know, I, uh, I grew up with actually two older brothers. I was the baby. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, and I like to say the favorite, you know, uh, my two older brothers were born in South Philly and my folks were like, we are not raising kids here. And long story short, they moved to this, uh, kind of cooperative community in the middle of the mountains in North Carolina, about an hour outside of Asheville. Um, you know, more or less hippie commune, uh, a lot of folks might say, but it's been around longer than, than hippies. And uh, I was incredibly lucky. I say it all the time. One of the lucky ones. I was able to be born and raised, born at home, raised in the middle of the woods where we had goats and drank goat milk and made goat cheese and ate goat meat. And mom would even like tan the hides. We had little goat skin vests. You know, we didn't get picked on for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, we had gardens and grew most of what we ate and you know it's just this incredible childhood uh which was 
really part of it was the fact that my folks were so into food and so into creative cooking. And yeah, I think to like, you know, some of my comfort foods when I was a kid were like miso and tofu, um, you know, just because it was the kind of stuff that was around the house. And as kids, we were never, first of all, we were way too poor to get away with being picky eaters. But the other part of it was that my mom was just way too creative to let us get away with being picky eaters. So if there was something we didn't like, she'd be like, well, I made it different this time. Uh, and so we never really got away to, to got away with saying that we didn't want to eat stuff, but it made me really interested in it and fascinated by it. And, you know, I just, uh, you know, the nickname food sheriff actually came from my two older brothers because uh, we'd be sitting at the table and, you know, they're two or three and five years older than I and would be kind of taking the strong arm on what was left, you know, from a, from a meal. And, you know, we each had a piece of chicken. They go to get those last two. And I'm like, ah, oh, no, no, no. You got to give me a little bit of that and a little bit of that. <laughs> like, All right, food sheriff. And, uh, and it kind of just stuck. But, uh, you know, it was a weird sort of thing. I, my folks met in art school. So, you know, I grew up in a really creative environment and always was fascinated with that. And, I'm 44, just had a birthday the other day, and uh, hit this funny little pocket, especially in rural North Carolina, uh, where people who were older than I was were being exposed to computers in the workforce. Uh, people who were younger than I was were being exposed to computers in school. But I hit this little pocket where, like, you know, my high school typewriting class was on a typewriter. Um, and so I was really fascinated with graphic design and was really into it, but I knew that it was becoming a computerized thing and was scared shitless because I had never, I didn't know nothing about computers, you know? So I ended up deciding to go to culinary school instead. And it was the best decision I ever made. You've, um, so I'm glad you went there because I, I, I wanted to stop you. I'm like, you're going too far. I want to wait just to... <laughs> you. I, I read that you said that you were the last generation who could grow up poor and still not know it. And that you were raised to apologize to the weeds and thank the vegetables. Yeah. That's, that's mom for you. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, love it was just perspective. It, you know, like it's one of the lucky ones, man, like my family, it's just this incredibly loving, group of people. Um, you know, my mom's retired now, but was a midwife and delivered over 5,000 babies uh, before she retired. Um, and, you know, we were, it was just part of this understanding of where you belong in the world, right? And, and having gratitude for things and being, uh, being able to appreciate things. And, and you know, it's, I'm still to this day, it's like the littlest things will just give me a giggle. You know, like back when we could go to restaurants and you get to like pop the cap, you get like the first person to use the bottle of ketchup on the table. I'm like, woohoo, <laughs> woo, that's me. You know, so it's, it's like, it doesn't take much really to try and get some joy out of life. And, and I think that very much came from, from my upbringing of just trying to find excitement and joy and happiness and things. And, and that piece, you know, about the veggies, yeah, we would, it was, I, to this day, I believe that if you kind of are yanking weeds, if you take a minute to slow down and just kind of understand that you're 
ripping their lives out by the roots, they kind of release a little easier. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. No, I, I, I think it's amazing because people, um, who was it? Andy Little over at Josephine was kind of, he, he wrote a blog one time and I was reading it and he said, you know, I think if people took the time and they took a seed and they planted it and they grew potatoes, right? And you, you put that potato in the ground and you watered it every day for three to four weeks and you went out and you checked on it and you kind of looked at the sun and you got, you babied it and then finally it grew. You pulled that thing out of the dirt and you cleaned it off. You're going to freaking cook it correctly. Like you're going right. to expect it. Like these are, things that people don't realize these are living things like just that perspective of nature and living and, and all this stuff. I just, I love that. Apologize to the weeds and thank the vegetables. It's again, I, I owe my mom for that one, but it's kind of the same philosophy we've always had about food too, that right. Good food is simple food. Yeah. So it's just, you know, like you don't have to do a lot to it. And especially when you're working with great ingredients. You know, Hal Holdenbach over at uh, Lachlan Table, he's one of those guys that does a lot of local vegetables, and he does vegetables that you try, and you go, what in the hell do you do to your vegetables to make them taste this way? And he goes, I don't do much. Like, I get really right. good vegetables. Right. I just cook them the way they should be cooked, and then I serve them, and I'm like, damn, I had no idea that vegetables tasted this way because – he gets really good vegetables and treats them well. And I just, I love that. Any other shout, anybody else in town, you know, that does a great job at that. You want to give a shout out to? Ah, man, I think Tandy uh, has always done an incredible job with, with fresh veg. Um, and, you know, there's a, a balance of like simplicity and diversity in the way he cooks. You know, it's like each dish on its own is deceptively simple. I think sometimes, but you're really, really simple. But then next to the next item on the menu, it's so different, you know? And that's one of the things I've always loved. Yeah. So you went to culinary school, you fell in love with cooking, and then you, you put that to the test. I had Tom Morales on the show. And oh, yeah. he said famously that he opened restaurants as a training ground for people that wanted to work in the really tough situation out in the field at movies. The movies is the NFL of of chefs, and you, you can't understand. Yeah, you can't ever say that. No, I um yeah, I, I went to culinary school, loved it. Um, ended up getting a scholarship to be for um for my bachelor's degree and working as a TA and then a fellow and was doing all these interviews and you know basically I, I felt like I could have had my pick of jobs, you know, and I was like going into room after room suit and tie, suit and tie, suit and tie. And I walk in and there's this guy like flopped back on the chair and like Birkenstocks and corduroys. It's like, and I was like, this is so much more my speed. <laughs> this is so much more, I'm not a suit and tie guy. And, uh, and it was Tom Morales. And it was the first time he had actually gone trying to recruit chefs for the movie sets. And for me, I was like, you know, there was something just interesting about that. And it, the other thing is it didn't feel like it was, um, a corporate career path, right? Which all these other gigs that I was looking at, that was the kind of thing that was like, you know, move to Dallas, Texas and work in this, you know, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But I was, yeah, but I knew at the time that, you know, they're from a standpoint of the way that business worked back then, this was like, you know, late nineties, uh, that he, he didn't have restaurants yet, right? 
And those movie sets, it was a very stop and go kind of thing, right? And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I, I want to have enough to do. I want to work all the time. I don't want to just work a couple of months and take off. Had I known how hard that movie business was, I probably would have kept my mouth shut about that. But uh, so I moved to Nashville in 98, right after the tornado hit and um, the first tornado. And uh, was I would work at Starwood Amphitheater uh, doing backstage catering when I wasn't on, on the road. But I remember my very first movie, uh, it was Arkansas, middle of the summer and after that first day, I literally cried myself to sleep because I was like, what the hell have I gotten myself into? Um, I, I grew up you know, with my two older brothers. They were always the ones that were like out doing stuff. And I, you know, I kind of just felt like the lazy one next to them. And you cannot work on a movie set and be lazy. It's, it's the polar opposite of, of working in a restaurant in a way, you know, in a restaurant, you're cooking the same food every day, uh, really for strangers most of the time, right? Um, and on a movie set, you're feeding the same people every single day, at least two meals a day, at least three days, uh, five days a week. Um, the last thing they want is the same menu every day. And, and yet all of the things that you take for granted in a restaurant, like, I don't know, running water, <laughs> nice machine, the fact that your deliveries just come to your back door, you know, all of those things are out the window. And if you're wanting to boil water, wash your hands, cook pasta, you name it, that means there's a five gallon jug of water that you've had to load onto your truck at, you know, two or three o'clock that morning um, to be able to have the water that you would need. So that's obviously dozens of those five gallon jugs of water that you're, you know, starting your day humping those things onto the truck. But it was just, there was something about it that was so cool and quickly I really did fall in love with the human aspect of it. When you are feeding those same people, you really quickly get to know them and you get to know their likes and their dislikes. And, you know, every menu each day, you know, it was like four entrees of meat, poultry, seafood, vegetarian entree, plus all the sides, all the spreads, all the salads, desserts, this. And then on top of that, all the, you know, ridiculous fad diets and baked food allergies and real food allergies and all of that kind of stuff. And it would be so cool that you know people and there's like some, you know, grip really digs mushrooms. And so you're like, oh, when you're cooking something, you know how much someone's really going to like that, right? And then you're there to serve the food to them. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, it. you're standing right there when they're walking through looking at it, eating it, you're clearing their plates. So you can't hide from, from a shitty performance either, you know? And it was just, it was a really incredible experience, but it was also hands down the most exhausting experience. That movie in Arkansas, um, it was, I remember having to make a run to a store and passing by, um, Actually, there were two banks, you know, the, the signs outside and the digital thermometers. And they both said the same thing. So I knew it wasn't a fluke, but it was 11 a.m. And they both read 112 degrees. Wow. Yeah. Um, contrast that with my very last movie in New York City. It was the remake of Shaft in January of 2000, Y2K. And uh, it was three degrees outside with a wind chill of negative 30. <laughs> God. <laughs> so... Yeah. 
I hear the story. You gotta if you want to boil water, you have to get the water there, and that's it, it. Seems very tedious, very hard, very physically, emotionally draining. Yeah, same. Is the is the grip that likes mushrooms that you get to fix that dish and you get to feed him and you get to see them enjoy it? Is that is that the motivation? Like is, what? What keeps for me? It was for me. It was, and it, and it wasn't just one individual. You know, it was you. You become movie sets so quickly become a family. Um, by my second film, there were already people on that crew that had been on the first one, um, and you know, the next one there's even more, and so you really get to know these people. You see them all the time, and a lot of what I think may, has made Tom successful, especially in those early years with what he was doing on the movie sets was that it wasn't just about feeding bellies, right? It was feeding souls, feeding attitudes. Like they're having shitty days out there. You know, they're busting their asses too. And here's the one chance for them to come and have a bunch of really happy people, super excited to take care of them. And that experience was, well, you know, thank the vegetables, apologize to the weeds. It was that same sort of thing of like, that give and take of what you can provide to people beyond just the food you're cooking. Um, but that experience and this, this opportunity to serve, um, you know, this empathy for their experience, which is what I think makes the most successful hospitality businesses successful. I agree with you completely. But when you're in that situation where you're being tested to that degree and you come from your background where it seems to me like you're you, you've got to be awfully gracious. You've got to be awfully gracious and and excited about the things in life. You get back to a real restaurant and you have running water and you have an, right. and you've got all this stuff going for you that are everybody in this world takes for granted. How do you get back? How do you transition from that mentality where you just you're in it and then you get into a restaurant when somebody's complaining, "Oh, well this is they just go you don't understand. Do you have, are you able to take empathy into a regular restaurant? Does that, I'll be honest. Going I, I never cooked professionally again after the movie sets. That was it for me. That it, it wasn't that I, I didn't want to, but when you are again, imagine you're on a set for months, right? And you're coming up with a brand new menu every day with all of that. It wears you out, you know, and people used to always ask, what's your favorite thing to cook? I'm like, I never cooked something twice. Like you can't, you know, like it's not. And so there was a piece of it for me that after I did that, I was like, I have to take a break from this. Um, but no, I do think, yeah, it does. It certainly makes you a hell of a lot less patient with people who are bitching about little things, you know, like you don't realize until you have to do it, that you can bake cakes with sternos, right? <laughs> when your propane lines freeze up and you're stuck in the middle of Manhattan, and it's freaking Winona Ryder's birthday, and they want you to make a cake. Well, I guess we'll try this. <laughs> wow, it works. You know, it was, it's just—it's kind of like the there. It it really for me the best thing about that was again you know growing up I thought I was lazy. That experience showed me what I was capable of, and more importantly, it made me fearless because I knew that. The rest of my life, I would never be challenged the way that job challenged me on a daily basis. Um, from the standpoint of, again, long hours and 
physical challenges and uh, it just the the stress of it all it's like if i can do this I can, what can i do i feel i feel so like what you just said there's so much of a lesson involved there just in what we're dealing with right now we're dealing with a pandemic so many people if i told you in january if i said hey let's close all the restaurants for three and a half months We'll put everybody on unemployment. We'll transition everything to to goes. We're gonna close down Broadway. We're not gonna like, but we're gonna make it through. And then we're gonna like figure that out. People are like, no, there's no way in hell. But like we've, everybody's had to adapt, and we've constantly been. I think there's a lot of people who have grown. I think that once we get, if we get, when we get past this, there's some people that are gonna be like, come and see me. There's nothing you're gonna throw at me again that I can't handle. And I think that's kind of that mentality you leave in the movie set. So it's just a, I didn't think I could overcome that, but when I did, now I feel invincible. Do you think that we're gonna come out of this with a bunch of badasses who are like, I've gone through a pandemic, I can do anything? I think without a doubt, the people that make it through it will become more fearless. Um, I think that they will be able to look at perspectives about their business that they they didn't have time to do before, right? You know, when when you're running the typical restaurant, those, those guys don't have time to think big picture about stuff as much as they would like to because they're just dealing with what's in front of them. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that, I hope that. Um, and I think that this experience is also, you know, I think everyone uses the word pivot, right? You know, about how everyone said the pivot of, of what they're doing, but. I think that it's going to create a, a different sort of hospitality. And, and, and I think a, uh, Nashville's never been short of this, but a, a, a more gracious hospitality. Um, you know, one of the things I've always loved about Nashville restaurant scene is that for the longest time, it's really, it's not been about ego, you know? Like you had Josh on, and I remember going to Catbird Seat the first time when he was there, and just being, ex having this expectation of what it was going to be. And then they're like leaning on the counter and sharing so much of their time and passion. And, you know, and, and that's one of the things I think is great about Nashville. But I think hopefully across the board, people will be so much more appreciative of that, you know. And, and guests will hopefully have a better appreciation of it as well. That's something I'm hoping for is one of the um, kind of the other sides of this podcast. I'm hoping that mm -hmm. guests get to listen to this this podcast on a regular basis and go, I've been doing it all wrong. I, oh. I, I'm i a bad guest. I'm going to come in and, and I'm not just going to leave a restaurant and just leave a scathing Yelp review. I'm going to call them and let them know what my honest thoughts are. And we're yeah. I'm going to figure this out. We're not just going to be keyboard warriors. But I love I love you said the thing about Josh in this this community. And he said on the show. I was afraid going into this that when hospitality people came in that they were going to be, oh, who does this guy think he is opening this type of restaurant? He said everybody walked in with open arms in this community and was like, dude, we love this. This is amazing what you're doing. And he said it, it changed everything for him, like being feeling connected, feeling accepted from all these people in the Nashville hospitality community. And I just I was like, that's that's who we are, man. That That's yeah. this community. it was awesome. Well, I, I think. The restaurant business, this is the reason I'm not a professional chef or, or working in restaurants. What, if a restaurant is anything, it has to be consistent, right? 
even if you're consistently shitty, you know, just be consistent at that. And yet every single thing that a restaurant owner deals with is inconsistent. Their staff, the economy, their employees, the produce, the everything is inconsistent. And yet try to create this identical sort of repeated experience out of that. It's incredibly challenging. And it's not the kind of thing that I, I can do, right? So in a way, maybe that brand new menu on, on a movie set every day was, was a, benef- a benefit for me. Are you, do you, have, are you an ADD guy? Oh, shit. Uh, I actually had an employee once tell me I wasn't ADD. I was ADOS, which is attention deficit. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm in the same boat. Is that a squirrel? What is that? Yeah, exactly. I have to close <laughs> blinds. I have windows in front of me. I have to close them. Otherwise, in the middle of the room, I'm like, oh, there's a chipmunk. Look at that right there. It's a chipmunk. He's digging a hole. Like, I, I, and I go, oh, yeah, I'm back. Um, good. When I met you, you were at the Sobro Grill in the country. Oh, my God, right? And Bart Pickens was the chef there. And, uh, hey, hey, what you know? What are you doing? Right. We all love Bart Pickens. And so kind of makes sense me learning a little bit more about your past when i met you you're always just you always had a super positive attitude my perception of you was this guy gets shit done like he makes it happen there you didn't have there wasn't like a lot of converse you were kind of all business to me my conversations with you were we're having an intentional conversation about something you were always very friendly but you got to the point and you got stuff done i love that about you but that's kind of learning a little bit more here about you what it tell us about what you were what kind of what you're able to accomplish at the sobro and the sobro used to be a really cool kind of grill in the right obby of the country music hall of fame it's not there anymore yeah so when i but after working on the movies um i lasted not even quite two years on that before it was like i i, I gotta get out of this it's gonna break me and I moved uh, back to Charleston, South Carolina, which is where I'd gone to school. And, uh, but had really liked Nashville and, and was interested in it. And fast forward um, a couple of years, I moved back here New Year's Day of 03 to take over as the general manager at the uh, Sobro Grill, the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum, right? And at that point, I think the new hall had been open uh, maybe like nine months or something like that. Um, it hadn't even been open a full year and it, the, it was a contract to run the food and beverage within the facility and it was not really being operated that well. Um, there were a lot of challenges with it. And I remember day one, I'm like, well, let me see the catering menus, right? You know, the hall of fame is booking events for people all over the world who are coming to this beautiful brand new building in downtown Nashville. And we were providing the catering services and I look at the menus and, and, What's that? 2006-ish, 2005? This, no, this was 2003. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and the word, the menus, I, I look at them and the fonts are all over the place and centered and left justified and bolded and then italics and underlined and combinations of all of that on the same page. And the word vegetables is misspelled and the word desserts is misspelled. And, and I'm like, oh my God. Like they're sending these out to clients all over the world. And they're like those rednecks in Nashville can't even spell, you know? And so it was kind of one of those situations where it was 
often like a movie set. You know, it's like if the attitude if the attitude starts to sour on the crew, you've really got to do something. You got to break out the paddles and like clear. And it was one of those situations where that's what needed to happen. We're like, okay, let's change the name, let's change the logo, let's change the staff, let's do all of this stuff. And and I remember we were, it was, I guess, technically this was my first official rebrand. Um, and we, I was the GM, so I was doing all the sales and, and running all the stuff. And, and the chef that was there at the time, pre-BART, caught wind and put it in his notice, gave him two week notice. And Tom said, okay, well, we, I want everything ready the day after he leaves. And so that gave me two weeks to do new logos, a website um, that had never been done, all new menus, new uniforms, new staff. And I thought he was crazy, but it was the best thing that could have happened because that very next day, I invited the entire team uh, from the hall, the whole staff uh, to a free lunch to kind of just introduce myself officially, tell them what was up. And for me, it was this, you know, when you're in a situation like that, we, it, we were there to provide value to the visitor of the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum. We weren't there to make ourselves look good. We were there to make them look good. And it was this concept that I had brought with me from Charleston that the best business is more than a business. It's a cherished community asset, right? It's this place that someone thinks about when someone's coming in from out of town, where do they want to take them? Or where would they celebrate an occasion or a, a birthday or a whatever? And, and it was really the kind of thing that you may never get there as a business, but you should always think about that as you operate, that it's not simply profit. It's about that relationship with the community. And being and, memorable. Yeah. And being, it's yeah. And it's, yeah, you're, there's, there's gotta be more to it. You know, there's more, put a little more meat on the bone about what you're doing. And, and it's, and now I look at it and I think about the terms of, you know, like brand's narrative and the story and the voice and the, you know, all these things. Back then I, I hadn't really, wasn't in that mode, but that's what it's about, you know? And so we did a full refresh, full everything, flipped it and um, turned a great profit that first year. And after that, that's when the Loveless came into, into play. And we're going to take a quick break and talk about Trust 20. Reopening your restaurant comes with great responsibility. Are you doing everything you can to keep your staff and guests safe? With Trust 20 certification, you and your guests can feel confident you're doing everything you can to keep everyone safe. Trust 20 is home to the new standard of restaurant safety and consumer comfort. By becoming a Trust 20 certified restaurant, diners will know the practices you follow to create a safe and healthy environment. Have confidence you're going above and beyond minimal requirements. Have comfort knowing your practices have been independently verified. To learn more, visit trust20.co. That's trust, the number 20.co. Trust 20 restaurants have access to a suite of resources that include expert-led training in four key areas, individual consultants, communication material and signage. For Nashville Restaurant Radio listeners, now through the end of July, you get free certification when you visit trust20.co and tell them you heard about them on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Trust 20, partnering with you to keep everyone safe. So tell us that, uh, let's, let's jump straight into the Loveless because I know this, is, this was a, an amazing story. And I was, I was with you guys when, 
with Creation Gardens through a lot of this before I jumped over to Freshpoint. But the work that went into, I, I, so I live, I currently live like a mile and a half from the Loveless. Yeah. And I grew up a mile and a half from the Loveless. I've been eating at the Loveless for 35 years. And when they came in, when you guys came in and redid the Loveless, I was a little upset because right. I, I liked right. The original I liked walking in she brought the biscuits out on a sheet pan and it was a whole thing I knew Carol Fay along you know it's it great yeah. but when you guys came in I didn't know after so, the after it was all done I was blown away but like I was kind of upset they were doing it talk about what it took to do that and why so it was a I remember hearing about it when it first came into play you know it was um newspaper and said it was going to be sold and bulldozed and they were going to put up a strip mall and tom morales it's like no way he grew up going to it as well and went and found some partners that could fund it and to help as he kind of thought about it save the loveless and i had never been and i remember driving out there the first time and literally i was like oh this is a cherished community asset that's what it is right it is and so and so tom at the time kind of um, was like, okay, I need you to go out there and just help guide what's happening. And so I had a very simple motto uh, for the 10 years that I worked with the Loveless. Don't fuck it up, you know? And, and, and I think a lot of times people will come into situations and they want to change things to show they've changed things. And so the first thing I did was sat with every employee because they had a lot of folks who had been there many years. And the very first person was this waitress Marie who had been there um, at that point, probably 10 years or so. And she was like, you're not going to make us dump the jams back in the bucket of the, at the end of the day, are you? Do you remember they had those soup cups of jam that were on the table? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, um, I can promise you we're not going to do that. But I sat with everyone. I said, what has to change? What needs to change? what can't change. And that was really the, the kind of the premise of it. And it was, there were things that physically had to change. You know, the, the reason it closed, because when Tom bought it, he continued to operate it as is, you know, without making any changes for a while. And finally it closed. The reason it closed that day was because the toilet in the men's room fell to the floor Yeah, with someone sitting on it. Um, yeah, yeah. And so like it, it had to get renovated. It had to do that. And if you were going to make those changes um, and invest that in it, then you had to have a large enough dining room to be able to recoup that. And so there was, for me, it was a lot of, um, of what was right, what was appropriate, what was, you know, so making sure that we were carrying things through, but like the number one complaint when we reopened was that the jams were in the little plastic souffle cups instead of in bowls on the table. And I just kept my mouth shut about that one. Um, I was like, oh, the health department doesn't allow us to do soup cups of jam, sorry. Uh. <laughs> no more. Nobody would, I yeah. guarantee you, nobody would complain about that today. Right, exactly. But no, so the Loveless though was an amazing, an amazing experience because it was, my first time working with a brand, right? And kind of thinking about it as a brand from the standpoint of this incredibly rich story and these generations of families that had poured their blood, sweat and tears into it 
and each one built upon the next. And the fact that we have this responsibility to carry that torch, right? And to, and so I was the brand manager there um, was what it ended up evolving into. Um, and it was everything from just guest service and attitudes and little things like, you know, I used to train all the staff that you never ask someone where they're from. Assume they're local, right? Y'all local? Because then the local people are like, yeah, I'm from so-and-so. The tourists, man, they love to be thought that they're local. But if you, if you treat a local like they're a tourist, then that's just going to piss them off. So it's all these little things like that. But then, it was also this experience in seeing how you could kind of extend that brand engagement. Uh, again, I didn't know these terms or use these terms back then. It wasn't as deliberate. But to watch what would happen from uh, when we started doing T-shirts and you know, and when it was a logo on a T-shirt, yeah, someone's going to buy that. When it was a funny saying on a T-shirt, they really bought that. You know, we, when we were doing, they had always been making these jams and the bacon and country ham, but it's like, well, let's take this bacon. If we put black pepper on it, the same cure, the same everything. Now we have regular bacon and pepper bacon. Well, we could do a Cajun season and have regular and pepper and Cajun. And then we could, yeah. And now someone's buying, you know, I think when I left, we had four flavors. They're buying four pounds of bacon instead of a pound of bacon. Uh, it was just a really interesting aspect to see how everything kind of um, melded together. And it was also during that period that marketing, I'm making air quotes here for the folks who can't see it, transitioned into what I think it is now, where prior to that time, marketing was basically people just thought of as advertising, right? And it's like, I'm going to buy an ad in the paper and I think it works. Right. Yeah. Well, unless you had like a coupon or something, you really had no way of knowing what was working. Um, and couponing, of, still, I think, is not appropriate for most businesses. Um, so it was watching what happened when things started transitioning into digital, and to see what would happen when you could look at the analytics of the web traffic and what pages they were going to, and how much time they were spending on things, and that people were opening these emails that we were sending and they were clicking on the recipes. And then, you know, here they are eight, nine, 10 months later, still clicking into these same emails from these same recipes and then going and buying products. It was just, wow, this mind blowing kind of shift that there's more to it. It doesn't have to be as much guesswork as it, as it needs to be, or as it used to be. Well, you can, from there, you can have actual data that you can make informed decisions as to what you're going to do next. Like, well, people are doing this. I'm going to do this. It's not yeah. in a room where people are just throwing stuff on a wall and seeing if it sticks. It's like, no, this is what's happening. And that's what the digital era has brought in. And I was admittedly very, very, very reluctant to embrace that. Right. I mean, I was like, why would a six year old cafe tweet? And then I searched Twitter and there was this entire conversation happening about us without us, right? And it was like, okay. And started at that point, I was like, well, I guess the people who are on these platforms won't be offended that we're there. And the people who aren't really won't know. 
was kind of my thought, right? That's 100%. So you, you tell a story that you bought a logo and it was like $450 or $500 or something. No, no. Yeah, we were getting ready to reopen. I was, uh, we hired a graphic designer to do a newspaper ad. And it was like just this teeny little ad. Again, that's what marketing was back then, was a newspaper ad. <laughs> oh, newspapers. And, uh, <laughs> and it was 450 bucks that looked nothing like what I had asked for. Um, and I was like, well, this is ridiculous. And at this point, I had kind of gotten over my fear of computers. Um, fast forward many years. And it's like, just buy me the program. I will teach myself how to use it. It's going to save us money in the long run and but that started that really started a new 100 percent for you yeah, that was the that that moment is when is if i look back the tra- where my entire trajectory changed because it was the opportunity to do what i was passionate about from art and creativity and graphic design from a kid right yeah. but now to do it for an industry that I loved and, and to be able to, it wasn't just designed for design sake, it was designed for a purpose. And it was, it was, you know, it started out just doing like the newspaper ad, right? And then it became the apparel and the t-shirts and the labels for the jams and the package of the biscuit mix and the web and the this, and the, you know, it kind of grew from there. Um, and, at a certain point, fast forward many years later, I just, there were other friends who were out and about who were asking for help and uh, in the industry and asking if I could do something on the side. And, and I felt really strongly that, you know, I had a full-time salary gig. Um, and so I didn't feel like it was really appropriate for me to do stuff on the side. If I was twiddling my thumbs, maybe, right. But I was busy. I had plenty to do. Sure. And, and so it was, I guess, 2013 when I was like, all right, end of 2013 it's time to time to take the leap and start my own thing so how scary was that um i it wasn't that scary i don't know it's it goes back to apologize to the weeds and thank the vegetables you know it's like i had this expectation that this would work it was um leap and the net will appear was what i just kept telling myself like i'll do it and i'll figure it out again after the movie sets, you know, it's like, what, what could I be scared of? Um, you know? And so I, it was just me working from home and um, coffee shops and just trying to help people. And at that point I thought it would be a lot more about content creation. Um, Cause I had seen the value of what recipes and things were doing for the loveless from the standpoint of online content and, web traffic and how that would impact um but it it quickly evolved from that and then you so how did it evolve well most importantly is i realized you can't really utilize content if your business isn't structured to do so right if your website isn't set up to do it if you aren't you know people are like oh join our email list right why what are you going to send them when are you sending them? How often? How frequently? Like they don't sign up. So you're just going to try and sell them shit. Like they sign up because they care about you and they want to know something. So have you thought about how you're structuring that? Right. And if you're sending an email, 
you shouldn't be putting 100% of that content in the body of your email because you're not going to learn anything from it. You're not going to know what they're clicking on, what they're interested in, right? You put those sections there and link them back to your website. But then if your website isn't set up right, because now they're coming in, this traffic is, it's not coming into your homepage. They're not coming into your front door. Right? They're coming in to these back little side pages to view this recipe. And if you haven't structured your site in a way that's then going to pull them to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing, if they're just gonna land there and all this there is a recipe, well, they might check it out and they're gonna bounce, right? But I feel like you need their legs to fall asleep while they're on the crapper, you know? <laughs> you need them to just keep digging and going, whoa, 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 you know? And, and how do you do that? And so that's what I was like, well, I guess I have to figure out how to build websites for these people because the recipes aren't going to do them any good if they're not leveraging it correctly, if they're not utilizing that to they can learn from the data of that information. And is that, is that so I mean, if I'm a restaurant owner, if I'm somebody who has a website and I, what's, why do I want people to go to my, why do I want people to stay on my website for a long time? Oh my God. <sighs> There's a lot of reasons about that. And it has shifted a lot over the years. Um, I think about mobile traffic now and how within the past you know, five years, even the vast um, amount of traffic that switched to mobile and what that means and the rise of search and other sites, the majority of people who are looking even for your business are never going to actually get to your site. Let's be frank about that. They're going to stop at the listing that shows up in Google and they're going to see what they need to see right there. You know, Give me just the facts, Jack. Menu, hours, directions, that's what they need. Um, but beyond that, it's to me what marketing is, is about building synapses in the brain, right? As many of them as possible, as dense of a network in as many different directions that will connect their life experiences in some way to your brand or your business, right? So they're at home eating a salad and they're like, damn, this salad's good. It's not as good as that one at Greco though. You know, it's like, whatever it is, it's, it's how are they, little things that it may be. And so the website gives you an opportunity. A website can give you an opportunity to tell a deeper, more nuanced version of your story. Um, and in some cases, different versions of your story, perspectives from employees or staff or you know, things that are, are, it's not, it's not the kind of stuff that's going to hit all of your visitors, right? Or all of your customers It's the kind of things, it's the kind of thing that will build a more meaningful relationship with the ones that matter, right? Because every business, let's hope every business will have customers. Um, and many businesses will have fans. And at Loveless, I used to see that all the time. People are like, oh, I love the Loveless Cafe. Well, when was the last time you went there? Well, I used to go all the time as a kid, you know, right? So a fan is great. It's not that they don't have value, but they ain't, they're not, you know, buying shit from you, right? They're not spending money. So ideally, if you can kind of merge those two groups in together, you can create a little bit more, uh, well, let's face it, more revenue, right? Of course. Because Customers are fickle and they are going, there's a million shiny objects that will distract them. And as a business, a restaurant, 
there are two ways to increase your revenue without getting new customers, which is expensive. And that's frequency and check average, right? That's yep. it. So getting, getting them in there more often and getting them to buy more while they're there. And that's where content and web and email and social can work if used effectively. Wow, you just said a lot of really great stuff. I mean, if I'm a restaurant and I'm hearing this and I don't do that, I mean, how, is there a way to, to quantify that? I mean, how, if I'm a restaurant and I go, that's still not that important. I mean, to well, me- Well, let's talk about how do you do it? Like what's going to build frequency? Right. And it's going to be different for different types of restaurants. Um, you know, but if, if you are on, let's say kind of the fast casual scale, or, you know, if you're not kind of on the higher end side of it, you're more, even if it's not fast casual, it's just a chill playback thing. One of the things that you can do is loyalty or rewards. Right. Um, we work with, um, a restaurant, um, Sam Jones barbecue, North Carolina. And I don't want to give numbers, but I will tell you that it's over 100% um, increase their loyalty customers in the frequency that they come in compared to non-loyalty and their check average is over 100% higher than non-loyalty. Um, and because those are the people who are coming in with friends, they're bringing folks, right? So depending on what you're operating, your point of sale We'll opt, like if you're using Square, for instance, right? Square has an opportunity, has a built-in loyalty program that you could utilize. And again, it's not always going to be appropriate for every brand, something like that, right? But that's, the, that's one easy way to build frequency. Um, another would be uh, regular events or, you know, in a lot of places we'll do like half price wine Wednesdays. Remember those days when you could have people in your restaurant, uh, but <laughs> things like that. Um, or uh, menu specials, right? Um, as as wine dinners, you can create events all the time. Right. You don't have to wait for somebody to call and, and have a party. I said right. after this whole thing, let's recreate Easter. Let's all the restaurants get together and say, we're going to redo Easter. We're going to redo Mother's Day because we were closed during those days. We can create stuff like that to bring right. in. Well, and, and I think to that idea of those LTOs or limited time offers, right? Creating some sense of urgency that, to this idea that like, oh, I've got to try that before it's gone. Um, so if you, most people are creatures of habit. They're going to go to the rest, to a restaurant. They're going to order the same damn thing every time. Well, so how frequently will they come in if they're going to eat the same thing every time they're there? So really encouraging menu experimentation is another awesome way to build the frequency of that customer so that they think about more than just that burger that they get every time or uh, and they're then more likely to to eat there more regularly um, and then of course there's the human touch right of people recognizing someone when they come in <laughs> it makes a hell of a difference um i will um not name the place but there was a place i used to go to all the time and i would go in there and and very regularly and every time it was like I was there the first time you know and, and I would I would go in every morning and I'd get a uh, coffee and a bagel after going to the gym and uh and every single time I'd have to say exactly what I wanted and I was like the first customer in the door 
Like every day. And you order the same thing. Every day. Right. And at a certain point, I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not, they, I'm not giving them my money. They don't give a shit about me. Yeah. That's it. What you just said is one of the most valuable things I think that people, it's a, I think it's the easiest thing you can do that most people don't do. And that is name recognition. Is, oh, yeah. Hey man, what's your name? I see you every day. Every time you walk in, hey Jesse, good morning. Would you like your same bagel and coffee? Like that's what pe people love to hear their name. And when you go to, I was, I was at a restaurant with a couple of restaurateurs in um, Florida and we were at Disney at a place called the Boathouse. And we were at Disney Springs. I think it was called the Boathouse. But we were sitting outside, we'd ordered a round of drinks and the, the POS system was a couple, it was close to our table. But the server came back with our drinks and she said, Brandon, you had the whatever. And Chris, you had this and like gave everybody their drinks. And I went, how did you know our, like, what did you do? Like, she was there, she heard us talking, heard our names, but the rest of the meal, she used all of our names for every single course. And I was completely blown away. This is a dish, she's never gonna see me again. Right. But she learned right. all of our names and used all of our names. And I think she got like a- I bet you, I bet you tipped the hell out of her. God, it was insane. <laughs> our crew now like what a small thing to do would be to learn our names and then use our names and if you can do that on a regular basis dr johnson great to see you again people love to go places where they're gonna you're gonna bring people in to show them hey look you're gonna walk in there like brandon good to see you oh yeah i brought dr johnson with me today like and if they get like how easy is that to do and how many times people miss that opportunity well, and, and it's the kind of thing that, let's say, things are different. So right now, you can't do that. But you know what you can do if you're doing online ordering? You can, you're seeing the names that are on those sales or on those tickets, right? Um, you know, I've had times where I've ordered stuff, and it's come with a note. That's like, hey, Jesse, thanks so much, man. And yeah. it's being dropped off by, by, but like, wow, right? Um, thanks again. Yeah, so that sort of aspect is something that I think um, it goes, we're, we're, it's a human business. You know, you have to have that, that understanding that, that empathy for guest experience. And I feel like, you know, I've been standing from the rooftops yelling that you need to go eat at locally owned restaurants right now, because those are the people that really need you. And I think those are the people that care. Those are the people that do care who you are. I mean, on a regular basis and that know who you are and are excited you're there. And I've used the name Red Lobster. I'm so sorry, Red Lobster. You're just getting beat up on my show, like over. <laughs> like, don't go to Red Lobster because you're a number there. You're a number in some company, and um, yeah, that's exactly it. I think that you um, we got to take care of our people out there, and those people need to take care of you. Don't not let them do that. So, moving forward to all of what you just said is really, really good stuff. Like, I mean, that is really good stuff. You found this building that you're in currently that I'm looking at you at. By the way, this video is, yeah. watch this interview. I'm going to have it out on the YouTube channel and at our website. So oh, great. I shouldn't have been picking my nose this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on in this video, guys. You got to click over and watch the video. Um, when, did the, when did the actual food sheriff department come about? Tell me about it because so, I think... The coolest place yeah. in the city. So I was, uh, this was, I guess, 2014, 2015, when I'd started first of the month, right? Which was like um, three ST of the month. And, and myself and some other guys in town, um, I had had this idea for years. 
and they helped me kind of kick it off where essentially it was a every single month, the third day of the month, regardless of the day of the week, uh, was a new monthly drinking holiday. And every month was a different theme and a different location. And all of the proceeds would benefit another charity, uh, a different charity. And it was incredible. It was really fun, tons of work. Um, I had the time to put into it because I had just started my business and I didn't have as many clients. And, and so I had the time to do it, but it was a ton of work. And part of what we were doing was uh, I was working on content, right? Recipe development, putting on the site, putting in emails, putting in this. But what this ended up meaning was that I had like milk crates full of booze and glasses that if I wanted to like wash a load of laundry at my house, I'm like, it was ridiculous. And I'd finally gotten to the point, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I have to find a, a place to get out of because I can't work from home. And uh, it was Khalil Arnold. And I was uh, with, with he and Rose and uh, was talking to him like, guys, I, I've got to find a space. To, you know, I've been asking everyone, if you know of anything of anywhere, somewhere that, I, that might work, I've, I'm, time for me to, to find an office. And Rose was like, well, you know, Bill's place on Trinity and Khalil's like, uh, Trinity, no, you know. <laughs> and of course, you know, I like to emphasize it's East Trinity. Um, but uh, long story short, I came here and peeked in the windows one day. Rose said, oh, I'm over here, come check it out. And I fell in love with this space. Um, and it's, uh, you know, beautiful natural light was streaming in. I was like, this is perfect. This will work for what I was doing, you know, from, this like recipe development content thing and working on, on sites and stuff. And uh, the landlord was just sweetheart of a guy who was really excited to have someone interested in this building. He bought it um, basically as a favor to the previous owner. He came in and the guy's like, I've got liver cancer and nine months to live and no one to take care of my wife. Will you buy my building? And so he bought it the next day and it basically sat empty for years. Wow. So he was super excited that someone was interested in it. Um, and I'm in just like a sliver of it. But as I started to work on it, the space that I liked was in pretty bad shape. Like the whole concrete slab was all broken up. So he was jackhammering this out and was pouring a new slab. I'm like, well, while you're at it, let's put in some plumbing. So I want to try and build a kitchen in here. And then uh, Carl Worley with Biscuit Love had come by one day. And he was like, have you asked anybody about equipment donations? It's like, oh, that's a good idea. So I went to the KitchenAid website and sent an email saying, hey, I'm building this co-working kitchen studio in Nashville and would be interested if I could speak to someone about a potential equipment sponsorship. The next day, I had a reply saying, uh, yeah, sounds good. What's your wish list? It's like, oh, shit. I hadn't really thought about that. A uh, mixer? Uh, um, long story short, they ended up providing all major appliances, countertop appliances, cookware, bakeware, cutlery, um, oh. because I asked, right? And uh, so that helped me build out the kitchen and that and draining my savings and um, created what at the time I thought would really be more of like a co-working space for other folks like me, right? I, wasn't, I knew I wasn't the only person who needed to be able to have a spot to like work on some recipes, take photos, um, you know, have a spot to, to put a laptop. Um, working in coffee shops is great, but not always um, the best thing. Uh, 
back then I was less picky about the work I did and I was working on a, a website for a plastic surgeon and editing before and after photos is not something you want to do in a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. Not something you want to do in a coffee shop. Anyway, uh, but so it, it all just kind of fell into place and um, opened this in, I guess it was September of uh, 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've worked with, uh, so when people want to take pictures of really cool dishes, when people want to work on a craft cocktail menu and taste different things, when people want to work on a new menu ideas or film cooking something, this is where people yeah. could go. They can rent your space. So, yeah, it's it's specifically a studio for photo and video is, is really the most of what happens. So um, this afternoon, there's a cookbook author who's coming in to do photography for her cookbook. There's been, I guess, half a dozen cookbooks that have been shot here. Um, there's restaurants uh, that'll come in and uh, food stylists will work on all the food in the back and they'll set up shots up front. Um, but it's it's photo, video, um, and you know, every now and then folks um, will come in and kind of work in it from a, a recipe development standpoint um, as well. But the vast majority of what it is is, is photo and video. And it, it works great. I'm sure a lot of people don't recognize that there is a place like yours in Nashville that people utilize to do stuff like this. That's for a reason, <laughs> because <laughs> the one thing it the one thing it is not is an event venue, right? <laughs> and inevitably, when I first opened, everyone's like, "Oh, I want to have a party here." I'm like, "No, no, 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 no. That is not what it is. That what it is. The full yeah, bar no. is not for your consumption. It's correct, to, correct. Yeah. to work on creations. So, wow, okay. We've got, uh, we've gone, we've gone an hour and, uh, I know you have somebody coming in to do some work. So, yep. um, we didn't, we, I, I think we've covered a lot. I think we've gone through a ton. I think that I could continue talking to you for like another couple hours. See how this happens. Right. I yeah, told exactly. you, like, we could just get going and you never know. So I have a question. So, I mean, I want to get back to uh, something random. You worked at the Starwood Amphitheater yeah. backstage area. Yeah. Uh, Tom told a story of Eric Clapton being on stage doing tears in heaven on is an encore acoustic for like the first time right, right after his son died, kind of a thing. And Clapton was crying on stage and he's standing on the side of the stage watching this. And I was just like, wow, he told us some cool movie set stories Golfing with Joe Pesci, some cool stuff there. You got it. Let's let's can we finish this off with a couple a, a, a couple any really good like memorable stories from your days at Starwood or on the sets? You know the I will tell you how things can kind of get out of hand. Uh, okay. So Harrison Ford, among other things, like on he had a couple of requirements um, that. Uh, were on his his rider that on set. So uh, he needed a pitcher of fresh squeezed orange juice every morning, uh, which I later found out was for screwdrivers. Good for him. <laughs> and that he wanted fresh baked chocolate chip cookies brought to him at the end of lunch every day. Right. So I'm like, okay, we can handle this. You know, I'll make up some cookie dough and bake off a couple cookies. And so the first day I go to take him to him, he's sitting at a table with the director 
and like the director of photography and the AD and like all these people I'm like shit I can't like give him cookies without and everybody else but I didn't have any more and everyone's like where's my cookies I was like I got you tomorrow so then the next day I come out with cookies for the table and the table beside him's like where's my cookies so within a week we were baking on top of everything else that we were doing over 300 cookies a day oh, to, to feed the crew, to bring out to the crew at the end of lunch. And it's like the best laid plans, man. It, it's just stuff can get out of hand really, really quick. Um, and you can't say like, no, no, it's not in your writer. It's in Harrison Ford's writer. I'm right. not making these. Well, and it's also like, it goes back to why, why is he any more important than the the hairstylist over here right they deserve chocolate if they if you know yeah and that was kind of the thing too is that equalizer of that and there's something about that environment where you know it's it's one place where most most of the famous people in that environment are pretty normal because it's the one place where they can be themselves you know and so Especially there. Why are they any more important than than anyone else? If they don't get their cookies. <laughs> That's but, a good story. I like that. Did you? Man, what, did, I, good. Oh no, no, I was just gonna say, I I could go on, and I would love to. Um, you know, if anyone's out there that needs help or ideas, um, you know, happy to share our website. We've got some content up there. Like, how do you take? decent photographs of food right how do you um how are you going to handle email what are you putting in your email what about loyalty programs Um, so you know if if there's any of that that we can help with by all means um and then you know i'll also say too that we have um basically during this uh pandemic extended a, a retainer rate to a lot of our our clients I'm even without retainers. And so, you know, if anyone wants to reach out or if they need help, be happy to do what we can. I love that. Um, how would people get a hold of you? What is your, all of your stuff? So in addition to the food sheriff, right. Um, department where I am currently, the other business I have is, is fresh branding. And that's where really where I spend most of my time and effort with a group of really awesome designers and, and marketers that I've, kind of collected over the years. Um, and that website is mm, that's fresh.com. So that's M M M T H A T S F R E S H.com. So is it people are emailing you directly at mm, fresh or are they just um, going to the website? So and contact? go to the website, hit that contact form and that'll come to me. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And, um, Instagram, you're on Instagram. I am, but you know what? I feel like, what do I have to say that's that damn important on Instagram anymore amidst everything else that's going on? But I'm there. I'm food underscore sheriff, which is one R, two Fs uh, on Instagram. Um, and uh, certainly, you know, I'm around. I'm here. So I always end every interview and I give the floor to the guest and I say, hey, 
if you were to there it is jesse goldstein on nashville restaurant radio so happy that he decided to take that hour for us and uh hope you enjoyed it i thought it was really educational and i love what he said there at the end that you know what do you got? I know I feel this. We'll I think Nashville is such a special place. And um, I love this. It's up to us. It's so up to much. us. It's up to every um, one of us to keep it that I way. I know that we will. The incredible uh, growth that I've seen over the years and, and the way um, it has thank come Thank you for joining us today. Floods, this video, if you want to watch it, uh, it's available on YouTube. Go check out trust20.co. Um, uh, learn more about that. And we just hope that you guys are staying safe out there. Love you guys. To a city that's large enough to not have that. So let's keep that. Let's hold on to that. And uh, we'll be back. I love it. Jesse Goldstein, thank you so much uh, for joining Absolutely. today. And um, best of luck with all of your endeavors and uh, through all of this. And we will keep in touch. Thank you. Thank Have you. a good one.